This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report, joined by just the one man as Bruce McLean uh, is part of the show. Pat Clifton is off doing something very important and he'll be back for the next show. We do have a little bit of audio from uh, Mike Tolkien, uh, USA national team coach, but uh, Bruce, first of all, we're talking right after USA Australia, right before the Rugby World Cup starts and um, how you doing? I'm great. Labor Day weekend. It's good. Yeah, and uh, some all, all these kind of crucial right before the World Cup warm-up games, um, they mean different things to different different teams. And, you know, you hear about some of those injuries that some teams suffer, and, and they probably are wishing they didn't play those games. But uh, uh, for the USA, playing a team uh, like Australia that plays at the pace that they do, a pretty amazing way to get yourself. If you're not awake for the World Cup, then you're awake now. Yeah, I thought that the uh, I thought the U.S. played really well. I wanted to have better performances. All all told, I, it was definitely they were in the game for a good chunk of it. I didn't think Australia played particularly poorly either. I thought they put out a good side, and you know, it wasn't there. First first line run outside, but it was a very good, very experienced side, and the U.S. held admirably. And, and and as we discussed off the air, the first half they they didn't give up any points when they weren't shorthanded. Yeah, I mean, th- that's easy to forget, really, because it was it was fourteen ten at halftime, ends up forty seven ten with some uh, some soft tries by Australia in the second half, but. Uh, those two tries were scored in the first uh, 15 minutes or so, and it, both of them scored when uh, Greg Peterson's in the sin bin. His second yellow card this season, he's got to watch that. Um, and, I, and I think for me, watching the way the USA players just committed to, to the tackle, committed to playing, they worked really hard. I think they ran themselves into the ground a little bit, but... Uh, um, it was it was really fun to watch and exciting to watch them not not be scared of an Australia team. I didn't think they were I didn't think they would ever be scared. I thought their defense looked pretty good in in terms of they had a decent cohesion and they had they had definitely had good speed off the line and they and they made a lot of I mean Kelly's hit early was great. The first try when Peterson was in the bin was pretty legit. It was a great step by Foley, and it was you know, and he and he went under the sticks. Second one, I, I thought the the U.S. when they kicked the twenty two had a a pretty good line chase on, a pretty good chase on it. And I think that had they not blocked Wiles, he would have contested. I don't know if he would have contested for the ball, but he definitely would have smashed Foley. And so. That try could have been a penalty. It probably should have been a penalty. Probably should have been. It was kind of a hip check on Wiles, and then what happens is Wiles gets knocked out, and the other two chasers in his area were uh, Zaffanolio, a hooker, and Titi Lanasatelli, a prop. So it was kind of ends up being a great matchup. It was the perfect. It was the perfect obstruction to get rid of Wiles, and then 
then the backs can just uh, slice up a couple of forwards like that. So, um, bit unfortunate. Uh, we do have Mike Tolkien with some thoughts and uh, caught up with him uh, right after the game. And uh, this is what Mike had to say. What we were happy about in the first half, uh, the defense was good and the physicality was good. Um, and once we actually got possession, we were <clears throat> in some good shape and holding it through phases and capitalized uh, on the turnover. You know, so we were, um, you know, some of that stuff was good in the first half. And, you know, that, that was the first time we played tempo like that all summer. Um, you know, Wallabies are going to play a, a fast game, as any of the, especially the Southern Hemisphere top teams. Um, so, you know, we, we just have to correct uh, some of those mistakes we made deep in our end. Um, you know, and then we're looking at a different ball game in the first half. You know, overall, a good first half. That was encouraging that we have it in us. We can do it, and we're capable of it. Uh, I feel good that we put ourselves, even in the second half, in positions to to do good things and, and to, to score. Uh, so those things were positives from it. Um, and... On the other side of the coin, you know, we have to be able to put teams away. We have to put the knife, you know, through the heart uh, when we have the opportunity to do so. All right. Well, that was Mike Tolkien. And, and Bruce, and do you agree with the idea that, you know, he's talking about let's stick it to the team rather than let's stop the bleeding, that he felt like, I mean, they they had some chances to score in that second half. Yeah, I, I think that the mindset of the Eagles has has changed from let's relieve pressure to let's apply pressure. And I think that's pretty important as a mindset for victory and for wins. And, and I think that there are times when they are applying pressure and they're, they're, they have an attack that does things that look good at times, although it's sporadic and they, they're playing pretty well and, and they're using, Defense and counterattack to um, to to bring get some attacking opportunities. You know, like Petri's try was scored off of a pretty pretty nice counterattack on a on a turnover, and and then I I just I thought that there was a there was a little bit of open play there that you know we we had applied some pressure we just didn't finish them off and and that's the difference between good teams and okay teams is good teams finish teams off and that is that's kind of a lesson there now now there's some stuff that went on in this game um it was worth looking at and i know you love the scrums bruce and, and and i'm curious about this because right at the beginning of the game the scrums just disintegrated on the usa side there were two scrums in quick succession one was just barely won by the Eagles, and, and, and it ends up being a knock-on by the Wallabies, so that leads to a couple of other stuff, and eventually um, the Wallabies score. Uh, but later on, the scrums looked much more solid, um, and I wanted to ask you, I mean, did you do you agree with that? Do the, do the scrums look, um, did the scrums look better, and if so, why? No, they they definitely fixed it. So in the first the first two were were pretty dodgy, and what what was happening is Dur Dur was pushing on Fry, but what he stayed really close to his second row, 
And a lot of times guys think that, oh, you got to get your locks, I mean, your locks and your flankers really close, and that straightens the shove out. It actually doesn't. It, it forces the, the shoulder of the, of the flanker is kind of pushing the hips of the prop out, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what was happening with Duratalo. Also, in the first two, Fry wasn't balanced before he was coming in. He, I don't think he was particularly comfortable, and he was getting caught with his hips behind his knees. So if you look at the scrum on engagement, he kind of had his hips a little bit behind his knees, and... And then that that puts him in a bit of a weaker position. And Dolan was a little bit less experienced at lock. I mean, he's primarily a number eight. I know they've been working with him heavily at lock, but what you're doing in practice, it doesn't necessarily always go into a game until you get a few until you get a few reps under yourself in the game. And then, so what happened is also when Fry was coming in, he, he he sets his feet completely even so his left foot and right foot are even which was pretty good on the hit and chase and under the old laws i actually prefer to have for the loose head the right foot set in the position that it'll be in where you'll be in your best pushing position post engagement then you can on the bind you could drop your left foot to the perfect pushing position. That still might be even, but I think when he comes in with even feet, what happens is he has to move his left foot and his right foot, and I don't think that they were getting that timing right. He, he started to get that timing a lot better as the game wore on, and he started to get his hips in front of his knees. At the goal line where when Peterson had gotten sin I'm pretty sure they put Samu behind him. And which helped them a lot. And even right. though they got driven back, they were they were there. But and and then when at the goal line when they scored, he kind of bailed out a little bit, and and then switched his bind, which is what he was getting in trouble for over the summer a little bit. And and he didn't have Finoglio in him and Peterson. So and and although those are pretty slight things and they're not major major issues for. 95% of coaches, when you get to international level and you're playing against a Mario Ledesma, the Argentinian legendary hooker, is the coach of the Australian scrum, that those, those types of things just amplified themselves and, and that caused the U.S. scrum to disintegrate. Well, it's, and, inter- it's interesting you mentioned uh, Argentina because the – Argentina has always been fantastic at the scrum, and their philosophy, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the parts of their philosophy is that outward push, if you're on the outside, if you're a, a flanker, for example, you're pushing from the outside somewhat to the center so that the power goes into the center and then forward. So that whole the point that you made about uh, Duratalo pushing straight ahead as opposed to inward a little bit does make a difference. Well, I, the Argentinian scrum, the La Baja, they call it La Bajada or La Bajadita, um, they, they tend to, to run the entire thing through the hooker. And I don't think anyone uses it to as it was used when it was first developed with the outside hip bind on the, on the, the second rows going around the, around the waist and a couple of other things that they did. But... The, the real 
thing that they do use now is coordinated breathing, which they maintain their tension through breathing and they exhale together. Everything's kind of done together. It's, it's a very cohesive thing and it takes a lot of practice and they spend an enormous amount of time on it in terms of, uh, they spend an enormous amount of time on it in terms of, of doing, of doing those things. And, but I, I want to go back a little bit to our scrum is there's a lot of noise in my house. I'll tell you, it's my, That's sister, all right. it's my sister-in-law's birthday. If you look at, <laughs> You look at the difference in the third scrum or some of the other scrums where McFarlane is pushing on the side where you see Fry. His hips are out a little. He's, he's very square, but he's not totally attached and almost pushing toward the sideline. He's pushing square toward the goal line, which you actually got to be out a little bit to do that. Does, does that ultimately make you feel positive about the scrum? It's an easy fix, yeah. And they, you know, they're going to have a month together, a month and a half together to fix it, right? Um, on the lineouts, we looked at, uh, you know, th- there are a couple of key lineouts. This is, you know, it, it, it makes me laugh when when I'm I'm sitting here talking about being a a, a rugby analyst, and pretty much anybody watching that game could point out, as did the play-by-play guy on NBC, who I don't think knows anything about rugby, um, past some of the research he's done. Uh, scoring chances based on attacking lineouts, and they're lost. Uh, one of them uh, looked like John Quill is turning to sort of hand the ball back to someone. Nobody takes it. It bobbles off a shoulder, knock on, scrum to Australia, which becomes a penalty. Penalty becomes another penalty, and eventually Australia scores. Then later on, USA has a penalty right on the Australia line. Uh, they take the line out, and the the ball goes over the end of the line out. Uh, we looked at that. We talked about that together. Uh, looks like it was a slow lift, um, not a bad throw. I, I maybe. Well, what we had said was. It wasn't a slow lift. Okay. Is that when Bar- so Peterson and Peterson and Barrett will lift in Stanfill. Peterson actually got a perfect lift on Stanfill. Got him just just below the uh, just above the knees, right where his sausages are, or, or where that thick muscle is under your knee. And then he um and and then Barrett went in behind him and got him under his butt, but. He didn't step into it, so it was a couple inches that he lost there. And there's two ways to do it. So if you get a guy under his butt, you kind of throw him in the air and catch him with his hamstrings. Or you could start and get the guy under his hamstrings to maximize the height. So the height differential between Barrett and Peterson is you don't want your, usually don't want your taller guy lifting from the front. And and then that was that was kind of and it just was overthrown by an inch or two. But at those inches, that if they had done their techniques right, they might the U.S. might have scored. And and what, what does that make the score? Twenty one seventeen or twenty one fifteen, as opposed to twenty eight ten. And that's, uh, that's, a, you know, that's big, right. It's it's a it's a uh, twelve to fourteen point turnaround 
on on one play. Yeah, and that's a uh, that that's a big big thing, and that's a um, and no that has to get fixed, and and the lineout has to get fixed, and and that was I, I want to say that was a throw by Teal, and it and was he, yeah. He hasn't he hasn't thrown well this summer at all, yeah. and and they or uh, take that back, sorry, because that wasn't a throwing error. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, it it, it wasn't so, a throwing error. So but... a lot of times, I, the lineout has to operate better. And in order for us, we're not going to get our scrum ever to be at the level of where we're going to dominate. There is no excuse for us to not have a lineout that dominate. True. And even now, it, it didn't help. Scott Lavala's broken his elbow. He's out for the World Cup. It's it's very sad for for Lavala, but also um, it's a blow to the team. Hayden Smith didn't play in this game. Uh, uh, by this time, at that late uh, juncture, Cam Dolan was out with what I understand to be an arm stinger. So he was gone. Sammy Manoa is gone. At some point, you, you know, your lineout choices are are dropping down. Um, and obviously, Todd Clever's not in the team. I don't think Todd Clever's going to be brought into the team. Anybody holds out hope for that? That's not going to happen. I don't think. Um, but but the, the, some of those are temporary absences. But we've been so cocky about the lineout, um, and then it then you had a couple of injuries and a couple of things go not so great, and suddenly you know the, the options fall away. We can't afford that. Well, Samuel Manoa is a secondary option on Northampton, so he's a legitimate jumper. Cam Dolan is a fantastic jumper. Al McFarlane is a fantastic jumper. And actually, Peterson has been jumping and lifting pretty well. Um, Stanfield's a little short, but he's a good line-out operator. And a, so I, I don't think that the line-out should be an issue ever. I, I think the line-out should be functioning at full throttle. Our props are... Our props are good-sized guys, and I think our lineout should operate at full throttle, and it should be like a finely choreographed dance routine. And and I think that, that there's no excuse to not have a fantastic world-class lineout, and we need to have one. And 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 that's something again, again, easy fix. They just have to practice it, and they got to get it right, and they got to get it right under pressure, and 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 that and they should. There, there's no reason why that doesn't happen. I think the scrum could be serviceable, but the line out has got to be money. You can't have two dodgy set piece. Your best best attacking thing can't be when you kick off. Right. You know what I mean? Because you only want to kick off once a game. Right. So, and they're great at the kickoffs when we kick. So, I just, I think that we do need a scrum and line out. Otherwise, we're just going to get penalized off the park. All right. Let's let's talk a little bit about the backline play because we are starting to see a team that can produce something. The try itself was very nicely done, uh, very nicely uh, put together by pretty much everybody. But there were other moments throughout the game. Uh, Ash McGinty has has a really nice um, talent for sliding through a gap. I'm starting to see more from Threat and Palamo. Um, not quite the same from Seamus Kelly, but he's done some good things and, and, and really, uh, you know, just some good stuff from a variety of players. Um, and, and, and 
I th- I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see, you know, considering that the the USA team that played Samoa uh, in July were you know lost twenty one sixteen and really hadn't weren't wasn't doing that much with the backs. Now it's a very different team that plays Samoa to open up the World Cup. Uh, when I look at the back line, I I still want to see more. In terms of they have, I think switching Wiles and Scully, uh, you know that that's going to change timing on different things a little bit. I, I think Naguanya has been playing pretty well, um, about as as good as can be expected. So McGinty does tend to take that inside step and go. And and what they need to do is when he makes that break, we actually need to get behind them so that they can't get into his passing lanes. And now Mike does a drill called the all blacks drill that we, when you get a little bit of a break, you get in behind the guy who makes the break directly behind them so that you could either receive an offload clear out effectively or, or um, basically receive an offload or clear out effectively or latch onto the ball. If he turns around and create a mall, but those that's something that they have to get good at. And I think that, they need to threaten a little bit more. They need to they need to steal the game line and get quick ball. Then they need to penetrate in the second phase, and and that's going to come. But I, I don't I don't know that the back line is operating at the level that they want or need it to operate, and that's probably a function of the set piece not being as reliable as it needs to be. When your set piece is reliable, then your back line has confidence in what they can do, which then feeds into making the game line and getting quick ball, which feeds into having a penetration phase. And in, until they can get that set piece right, it, their back line can never operate with confidence. Definitely need – I mean, if they start worrying about that and they start worrying about, uh, you know, getting a penalty and – like well, if we if we kick for points, we only get three, and we might miss. And if we take the line out, well, are we going to be able to do it? And things like that. That's got to be nailed down. I, I, I don't think that. I think that they would have a, 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 a. I don't think that they have that defeatist of an attitude. I actually no have a good attitude. It's just that they have to execute in critical situations when it's on and. I'm not saying you got to win 100 percent of your lineouts and 100 percent of your scrums, but you do have to kind of be in the you do have to kind of be in the 90s the 90s percent of and and of that of 90 85 to 90 percent of it being really good ball. And and I think you cannot and even if you say like going through three phases, <clears throat> if you could get 90 percent good ball, 90 percent over the game line. And 90% penetration, okay? So in order to do those three things in a row, if they're independent events, 90, 90, 90, you know, just just looking at it from a mathematical standpoint, um, you know, it's it, that only gives you 72%, you know, you, you can do that 72% of the time, 0. 0.9 yep. times 0. 0.9 times 0. 0.9. So it's just, and that's operating pretty well. And if you if you're doing it ninety, what you really normally would do it is ninety, sixty, ninety, fifty, fifty. 
and that's a lot that's a lot different and now you're looking at 20 percent of the time 22 percent of the time so you the set piece has to be good and then that'll i think with palomo kelly and mcginty wiles inserting himself scully's a big cat and the one is pretty quick there's they should be able to steal the game line and penetrate plus they're using Manoa to penetrate he may depending on how off a line out they could use him off a scrum he'd probably hit that first ruck but you still have McFarlane to penetrate well I think that you know one of the things about the the line out operating really well in a lot of places and then five meters from the line suddenly we got a problem and and it seems like you know we, we the Eagles have scored off malls and they feel like the mall is good but but you can get locked into it um they keep trying to hit the back jumper for the mall because you, if you hit the front jumper for the mall, you run the risk of getting pushed into touch. So you want to hit the back jumper so you've got room to go right or left. Um, but are they locking themselves into it rather than once in a while, five meters out, just drop it down and let's go with the backs? Because we do have, as you said, we are are getting some people who are penetrating. And you slide out. Manoa into the back line, which is Northampton did that as well, and suddenly you've got this, you know, the, the minute a defense sees that, they see Manoa's out in the back line, they're they're changing their thinking. I just I, I would like to see them shake it up a little bit. I think the execution issues seem to be right when the try is there to be scored. And yeah, th- that's a concern. They're gonna, they'll shake that up. That's all right. And they're not they're not gonna go in with they're not gonna have a, a single way to do things. <laughs> no, I mean I I coached with those guys long enough to know that right. they're not there's, there's gonna be multiple options. But when you free the ball and you send it ten yards back and you're at the five, now you're at the fifteen. So having an effective driving mall is an excellent way to score. There's ways to score on a driving mall coming from the front and and teams are quite good at it there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and we may not see have seen everything that they have in the arsenal the the one thing we'd like to see in the arsenal is that they actually win the ball and and that's (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's true they do uh here we are uh recording this the day after uh uh, the Eagles lose to Australia 47-10 here in Rugged Matrix America, brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. We are two weeks from USA starting, uh, taking the field against Samoa September 20th to uh, open their World Cup campaign. They get a few days off. They're going to train for a few days, and then uh, it will be Friday the 11th that they fly to... Uh, the UK and get ready to go play in Brighton and so they'll have a week a, I, I think a like a real week to get ready for that game um, after some sessions in Chicago um, and and we'll probably do we'll talk a little bit more intently about the the World Cup but um, I saw for me, you know, recognizing that Australia is among the top, you know, they rank number two in the world, but let's say that among the top four in the world, uh, a team that legitimately thinking about winning the World Cup, for me to see what I saw from the USA tells me 
they can do very well in this World Cup. This is this is not a blowout. This isn't not. I mean, you consider that Canada got blown out by Fiji. Um, consider that uh, Australia lost New Zealand, um, beat New Zealand, but then lost New Zealand by a similar score. You can you can lose forty seven ten and be a good team. What I saw, especially in that first like minute seven um, to to forty, was a team that can play rugby. Really good rugby. Yeah, I they they definitely have a few holes, but they're they're uh, they are they're playing decent rugby. They're playing some of the best rugby that I've seen them play, and uh, and I, I actually do think they miss clever a little bit. Um, and now I'm not I don't know the circumstances behind anything, but I I do think that they. Uh, I do think that he could bring something to them that could help them that from a physical standpoint. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what, what went on. Right. Uh, but, you know, here's here's a guy. I mean, he's, he's always been a, a good runner with the ball, first of all. And and a guy running off the ruck and, and or running in support or being opportunistic, he's always been good at that. Yeah. And but as you said that, that that's not going to happen so i, I don't think, I, I don't I, think I, it's going to happen have that on 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 pretty good uh a pretty good source that you were speaking to 5 minutes before you started talking <laughs> so um the the um what i would say then is looking at looking at the world cup just going in and saying when they play samoa samoa actually got a red card against the barbarians and kane thompson there their number one jumper there is going to be missing. So the line out for the U.S. is going to be a massive priority for them to be able to win. The The other aspect that Samoa has is, and the reason they screwed up against New Zealand and, and the reason that they didn't beat the Barbarians is that their kicking game has lacked accuracy, precision, and effectiveness. And because of that, that's an area that perhaps we can target – so if we can play a really strong territorial game and play the game in Samoa's half and force them to have to do everything from 75 or 80 yards away and take advantage of some dodgy kicks and play some pressure defense, get a couple of breaks, then we could be okay. But if our lineout's not operating, we're not going to be able to do that. Or if our scrum's not operating, we're not going to be able to do that because we're going to be penalized and they're going to... They, even with a lousy kicking game, they're going to be able to put us down into our own half. The scary part of Kane Thompson missing is that it could bring a strong focus to the Samoan team. And in that, if they play, if they play a very structured, disciplined game with the power and athleticism of their players, that could give us a bit of trouble. It, it, I do think that we have a pretty solid defensive mindset that even when we've made dumbass mistakes or, or let in soft tries or easy tries, they kind of fight back. And, and that is something that Bailey always talked about in rugby league is that you got to regain the arm wrestle. You got to regain the arm wrestle. You got to regain ascendancy. And I think we're getting better at that. It's just going to be a, our whole World Cup revolves around a Samoa game. 
Samoa's yeah. World Cup revolves around our game. So that's a huge that's a huge thing. If we beat Samoa, then you know, we have a, a really good chance of at least automatic qualification. It, the Scotland game on that quick turnaround can be a slightly tall order just because I, I'm not it, home. it's I'm, it's a quick it's a I'm sorry it's a quick turnaround it's a quicker turnaround for Scotland they they play on the 23rd and the 27th USA plays on the 20th and the 27th so the Eagles actually have a little bit of a uh, perhaps an advantage uh, when it comes to that so but the Scottish beat Italy 47 to eight or something yeah. and or 47 10 and and they they narrowly lost to France who I thought played pretty well against England I, I didn't I didn't see either game but I don't think the US can beat Italy 47 to eight or 47 to 10 at full strength I I don't think we could beat them with like that in uh so I think Scotland could be a tall order for us. But if we beat Samoa, then we can go in. Now we're going in with our tails up. And then and they've experienced playing Scotland, so this, it's not something they haven't experienced. And the U.S. played poorly in those games against Scotland, in that, in that game against Scotland and Texas. So I think they'd like to redeem themselves. And then, yeah. then they go into the South Africa game, and there's two ways to look at that. Do you tank it, and or do you play it? Um, people paid. I think you play it, um, but I get it. Um, and then, uh, but had they not played it in two thousand seven, that iconic try never happens. Yep. And true. Well, I I think that uh, you know we, we talked about this a little bit last time, but part of it is the game plan. And there's nothing wrong with playing it and selecting a good team and playing hard, but from the 27th um, to the, the October 7, which is when they play South Africa, do they want to spend that time worrying about South Africa, or do they want to spend that time preparing for Japan four days later? And I think they should be preparing for Japan and then just say, go out and play a good rugby game against South Africa. I don't think it's going to make much difference if they have a... Um, a specific South Africa strategy, or if they're just they go in there as if they're playing Japan. Does it make any I, difference? I, I I think that they have to prepare for Japan um, and play South Africa. Look, it, the World Cup is is going to have its own dynamic, and I'm sure that everybody it depends on how we're doing, and I and and they'll make their selections based on what they're doing, and they're going to have to prepare for Japan. I mean, uh, preparing for South Africa is you, – you could do basic stuff like, you know, what are, what are they going to do in the line out and stuff like that and how are you going to counter that. But the rest of it, you just got to prepare for that. You got to really spend your time practicing how to deal with that Japanese. Uh, they, they, they basically run pretty close to what St. Mary's does in their motion offense and play a little bit of – play a little bit of rugby league off 10 and so they play diamond shape similar to bath. That's not going to be anything that Bailey won't have seen his whole life. So I wouldn't necessarily be worried about how they defend that, 
but I think that they need to spend time making sure that they lock it down hugely. Right. And right. South Africa's, you know, they're going to kick and bash and see what happens. Again, that, that, then I think we're looking further. They have to beat Japan to have a successful World Cup. Number one, sure. first and foremost, the World Cup is based on do they beat Japan. Having a second win, I mean, that would be, that's aces. Then they, they get an automatic qualification, a little bit more money. And, and I think that that's, that would be hugely important. So the number two thing is to beat Samoa. And then the, uh, then the number three thing of importance would be qualification for a quarterfinal, which would, which would be great. It, it'll be the best chance we have to do that in probably a generation. So I think that's from, from a draw standpoint. Cause I they, still, they, have, they have a chance to do that even if they go two and two. I could see yeah, Scotland not, goofing up and something like that. But, yeah. but ideally, of course, they beat Samoa and beat Scotland first two games, right? And then, then, then it's all down to making sure you take care of Japan. Um, yeah, I, going two and two it probably won't be a great way for them to make it. Just no, because it's not. It's, it's not. Scored. It's possible, but it's, well, they're it's not, not. They're not a. They're not a try scoring machine, and and they're not a. Uh, so they're not going to have great point differentials or tries. Good so point. I, I don't. They're not gonna. If they go two and two, I doubt they they go through. Right. Good point. Uh, the USA puts on exactly the same performance from the Australia game against Samoa and against Scotland and against Japan. They make the same mistakes. They do the same good things. Do they win those games? No. No. No, I kind of think I kind I kind of think they win at least one of those. They might do exactly the same, but it might yeah. be Japan. They uh, no, they they have to they have to execute in their scrum and line out to better effect in order to beat Scotland and Samoa. They have to, okay. and if they do, but those are easy fixes. You know, I mean, and Scotland that's, I and mean, Samoa are in Australia. Yeah. So if yeah, they actually fix so. that to the point of usefulness, then they can then they can be good. And you know the uh, you got to remember that that Samoa game, which was also a game of two halves, but um, there was that like aimless kick from Ash McGinty early in, in early in the game that he just sort of kicked right down the middle that ended up being a counter back for a try. That's the seven points. That's that's between a win and a loss right there. I know that McGinty has learned that lesson. They're going to be really hammering that in terms of using the kicking game. Is The kicking game is going to be to the corners. It's going to be kicked to green. It's going to be making sure that you don't just pop it down the gut of a fast fullback who can then set up a counterattack. It's not going to happen. Well, well it can't happen. can't and, happen. And, uh... Well, one of the things you said when you were talking to Mike was that kick the ball off the park so that they it's not like yeah. a glorified counterattack, but it is catch it three yards out of bounds and chuck it back in field. Um, so, and that was that was actually a big thing on the, on the fatigue factor with Australia that he said that, that uh, you had your chasers go in and because the ball wasn't kicked 
far out of touch that they could, yeah, they do those quick lineouts and people are running all over trying to chase that. Um, as he, he said, it adds a hundred meters to what people are covering, um, uh, often on, on one play. Uh, it's, uh, it's really, it's really difficult. And that, that's something that, that's the sort of thing we don't think about, right? In, in club level, you know, you're a good kicker and you make touch. That's great. Now you, because of the quick lineup, you got to make touch into the crowd. Well, one of the reasons we don't think about it in club rugby is that the fans are right on the sidelines. <laughs> right, so true. It, it's true. So it, you don't yeah. have any room to make those plays. Whereas in international rugby, they don't have people there that are going to touch the ball. So you, you can actually catch it and swing it in field. And tactically, a lot of teams don't do it because they practice from set pieces. And, and uh, so it, it's, it, it's, not a, it's not a heavily used tactic in, in our club system. The, then the other thing you were saying is you got to remember that the first 60 minutes of that Samoa game, um, McGinty was playing with Suniula, who was in pretty poor form, that at scrum half, that Pacific Nations Cup, so, and, I mean, whereas Lestrange looked pretty average with him, and McGinty looked pretty average with him, too. And McGinty didn't start playing well, but Petrie started playing scrum half. Yeah. Yeah. And, was, Pe- and, and Petrie's playing for 60 minutes. Yeah, Pet- Petrie's playing phenomenally well. And, uh, you know, I was I, – I don't talk about what people say about me that often, but, you know, uh, last year I got um, criticized by – another uh, writer for saying something nice about Mike Petrie. It's like, I don't know how I get criticized because I'm praising someone. It's like, it's kind of ridiculous, but Mike Petrie is a phenomenal player and he's playing as well as I've seen him uh, defensively. And, and, and he is crucial to that offense. Uh, Petrie is, I I gotta look at I'd have to look at the first try Foley scored. Normally the the, the scrum half will have had a role in that on on the right side of the scrum. He, he from a defensive standpoint he'd have a role. So when McGinty got stepped, so uh, but his his attacking play has been really good, and and there there's sometimes. On his left hand, where he may take a few too many steps uh, against, <coughs> excuse me, against Harlequins. That happened a couple times, but he's he's playing he's playing the best rugby I've seen him play in a long time. All right. Well, we need we need some more players to play at a World Cup level. I think that they learned quite a bit about playing at a World Cup level. And, uh, you know, in the end, you know, 47 to 10 may not seem like the greatest scoreline of all of all time, but, uh, you know, what we saw was a United States team that's that's playing Australia like they both belong on the field together and, and shaking up that Australian team a little bit. And that's, uh, that's a pretty great thing to see. So uh, we'll have... Pat Clifton back on the show next time around. Uh, Bruce, of course, will be here uh, with me, Alex Goff. Don't forget to check out uh, Golf Rugby Report for what we're doing, covering the Eagles, covering the the World Cup, and, of course, college and high school stuff. And uh, you'll see what's going on with Bruce's Iona College team at the same time. 
Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And thanks a lot for listening. Mm-hmm.